Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, everyone. It's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That time you got home from a week of double shifts and your dog didn't recognize you. Let's go. Hey, hey, it's me. Hey, it's me. Do you want a treat? You want a treat? Oh, you knew it was time for something new. Let's job it up. At CareerBuilder, you can find jobs with the work-life balance and salary you want. Plus, build a resume and apply to multiple jobs in just one click. Start your search at CareerBuilder.com. <laughs> the moment you realized you were mistaking your kids for co-workers? Okay, team, I'm uh, taking my 15 now. Taking 15 what? was the moment you knew it was time to get back to work. Let's job it up. At CareerBuilder, our simple, customizable search tool lets you search for part-time, full-time, and even work-from-home jobs so you can find a job that fits your lifestyle. Get started now at CareerBuilder.com. Still living in 2021 and manually taking notes? There is a better way. Start the new year with otter.ai. Automatically get meeting notes. Otter.ai works for virtual meetings like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and Google Meet. Sign up on the web for free or download in the app stores. Otter.ai. That's O-T-T-E-R A-I. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric. And I'm Bozma St. John. And this is Back to Biz with Katie and Bose. Bose, I'm really excited to have Brian Chesky on our podcast today. I've known him for a long time. He's been the boy wonder as the CEO of Airbnb. Yes, for sure. I mean, even when I was in Silicon Valley at Apple and then at Uber, I was always impressed by what he was doing. But his backstory is so interesting. For people who don't know, Brian started the company 12 years ago, yes, during a recession, with two buddies. He had studied industrial design at RISD. He moved to San Francisco. So he and his friends rented out their apartment when there was a convention in town, but not enough hotel rooms. They blew up a few air mattresses and voila, the idea was born. Ergo, Airbnb. Get it? Listen, I'm a marketer and that joint is fresh. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Very fresh. But the last couple of months have been crazy. Right. He was about to go public and then, bam, here comes the pandemic. 
I can't imagine, Bose, the stress he's been under in recent weeks. So we started there. We asked Brian just how he's managing right now. Yeah, let's get to it. Yeah, I'm I think I'm I'm doing about as well as somebody in my circumstance could be doing, right? Um it's been a pretty uh intense and harrowing four months or so. And I'm sure I'm sure most people listening will have identified that experience. You know, when we started Airbnb uh, a dozen years ago, I had told myself, no, I don't think I'll ever do something as crazy as that. And I think I've just we have experienced something that is probably even crazier than starting this company. When you're the child of two social workers and you're like unemployed and suddenly 12 years later, you have a company like Airbnb and you're going to go public. You, you just you have this real sense of, um, wow, I've really done something the last 12 years. So then to lose 80 percent of it in five weeks is like, um, you know, that was definitely um, an ex- that w- uh, if, if I thought my life was crazy the first 12 years, the next five weeks got even crazier, losing 80 percent of it or 70 percent of it. And, um, and then suddenly, you know, we found ourselves in this kind of total crisis where it felt like, you know, I don't know, probably like a lot of people, you feel like you're staring into the abyss and you can't quite tell if it will ever be better. And for me, so much of it was your psychology. It would have been so easy to just say, to spiral. And, you know, when you're responsible for thousands of people and, you know, everyone's pretty scared and a little freaked out. It's really, really important that the psychology organization maps, matches and mirrors the psychology of the leader. And so you have to find a way to stay positive. And you have to find a way to say for every single bad thing, this is an opportunity. I'm not going to exploit this, but every moment is a moment for us to do something that's defining to make us better. And that was the thing that we like went into this crisis with. How did the pandemic fundamentally change your business? As you said, you were set to go public. Uh, instead, you've taken a huge hit. You had to lay off 25% of your workforce in May. Um, I know you've tried to be very generous to your employees. You let them keep their laptops, keep their health insurance for a year. But, um, you know, how did you figure out how to move forward? And with all your hopes and dreams, as you said, shattered in a period of five weeks, boom. Oh, God, yeah. I mean... And I, I, it felt so terrible because it wasn't just our hopes and dreams. It was all these employees who had stock and, you know, I, you know, and many people are, I'm sure they were employ- planning to do things like buy homes and stuff with that money and they're really counting on it. And investors have been really patient with me. The, probably the hardest thing though, um, with the host, we have 4 million hosts and 50% of them tell us that they, they depend on Airbnb to pay their rent or their mortgage. And we had guests who wanted to cancel their, their future Airbnb bookings because they told us, I can't travel. Well, it was more than a billion dollars of, of cancellations. And the problem was that these were hosts who were depending on the money to pay the rent or mortgage entering an economic recession. So what do you do when guests are telling you, I feel unsafe, I can't travel, I need a refund, and hosts saying, if you refund them their money, I'm going to be in a really bad economic position. And we ultimately did the following we decided to refund the guests the money. We felt like we told the host, like, we have to do this because we can't, we have to, we, we're not siding with the guests. We're siding with health and safety. We can't have people being put in harm's way. And, you know, um, this is a global, at the time it was a global shutdown, two and a half billion people shut down. So we can't be part of everyone traveling right now if they don't want to travel and they want their money back. But then, you know, there was a huge uproar. 
and hosts were like super upset and they were very upset with us and me. And we decided to take, and this was at the depth of our um, kind of our own despair, um, $250 million of our own money. Now in good times, it's, you know, you could, you raise money in bad times though, it wasn't clear we'd be able to raise any money. So this was 250 million we thought we'd probably need. And we just gave it to our host. Um, it, we didn't make them whole, but it was the most we could do. And then something crazier happened. Our employees pulled together their own money, a million dollars, their own money, um, to give to host. And so then we, the founders, we, we put some of our money in and we started doing all these things. And that was probably the first kind of defining action we did. And then after that, we said to ourselves, you know, we can't, we're not as relevant right now as we used to be because people aren't traveling, but we can be useful in a crisis. And so we noticed that these nurses and, um, and fire firefighters and others, um, and doctors, um, were going to sites and they needed Airbnb or they need homes to stay in, or they didn't want to stay with their families and get their families sick. So we worked with a com our host community and 200,000 of our hosts offered homes for workers on the front line for a discount. And we kind of shared the discount. We had these product, this product called experiences where you can do these three hour activities with locals. I remember, I remember Brian, when you and I talked about how you were expanding yeah. that, that service to Airbnb, you know, uh, guests. And it was the next second act of Airbnb. And then it got stopped because, um, you know, social distancing, you can't be bringing travelers together from countries. <laughs> it's like the exact opposite of what people want. So our host said, well, we're, um, can we offer them online? And so in 14 days, our team built a product to create online experiences, which ended up being like the fastest growing product we ever created. So that worked out really well. What, like masterclasses? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're kind of, but they're interactive. So, um, so basically it's a one hour activity. So. I'll give you an example. We have Olympic athletes. So we did a partnership. We did a, we're one of the sponsors of the Olympics. The Olympics aren't happening this year. We got, I think, 30 Olympian athletes. And by the way, the average Olympic athlete, a lot of people don't know this, lives around the poverty line because a lot of them, you know, they're, they, you dedicate your life to your sport. And then a lot of sports, you don't get a sponsorship. So you they kind of have to start their careers over. And so we said, well, you know, we, we created a way for them to be able to offer a one hour kind of online class. Um, you know, it, it could be a workout. It could be like learning about setting goals. It can be a bunch of things. We have about 30 of them now and hope to, hope to get a lot more. And then of course we had to raise $2 billion because we were burning cash very, very quickly. And then of course we had the layoff, which was probably the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. And, um, and it became an unavoidable truth when we, we realized, you know, travel stopped and we don't know when it's going to return. And when it does return, we know it's going to be different. When you're in a crisis, you learn a lot about yourself in a crisis. You also get clarity in a crisis that you may not have had in any other period in your life. And in this crisis, I, I kind of got clarity. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. 
my friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, everyone, it's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like, we got clarity. Like, why are we even doing this in the first place? Like, what would the world lose if we just disappeared tomorrow? And it became really clear that the part of Airbnb that was special were the everyday hosts that were offering, like, connection and belonging. And if we disappeared from this earth and they couldn't offer what they're offering, that would be the thing that would be bad. And she thought, you know, that's what we need to get back to. We need to get Mm. back to why we started this company, back Mm. to belonging, back to connection, back to empowering regular people, um, back to our roots. And so we decided we're going to, like, scale back or shut down things that aren't that. So we paused our transportation effort. We had a content effort. We paused that. We scaled back our hotels business, you know, really just got really focused. And we said, that's what we're going to do. And, um, you know, I think we're going to build off that base now. So we can't do it. We're not as big as we were in some ways. We can't do everything we used to. But the things we're going to do, we're going to be very, very passionate about. And I I think ultimately, I, I'm hoping years from now, we'll look back on that as a really important decision. When we come back, Brian Chesky on how travel will forever change. Whether your event needed one room or an entire conference center, Hopin has revolutionized the way people come together. With Hopin, you can host a fully-fledged digital meetup complete with one-on-one meetings, hands-on sessions, and expo booths. And because everything is hosted in a single, easy-to-use platform, it can be as big or small as you want, remain convenient for anyone who wants to attend, and give you access to data you never would have known otherwise. Visit Hopin.com to learn more and get started. Here's another podcast you should add to your listen list. All Worth Financial's Money Matters. 
Every week, hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean answer calls about investing, social security benefits, and retirement with straight talk that's straight up entertaining. Everyone worries, will I have enough to retire? That's why thousands have called into Allworth's Money Matters for advice on their financial future and found the smart next steps to keep their retirement plan on track. There's a reason Money Matters is one of the longest-running financial talk shows in the country. It's Scott and Pat's entertaining, experienced knowledge. Whether it's how to deal with tomorrow's inflation or the big costs of health care in retirement, they've got action steps you can start taking every episode to ensure you reach your financial goals. Do your retirement a favor and add these guys to your production playlist you'll find all worse money matters everywhere there are podcasts provide personalized assessments of the key areas you need to consider and master deliver next steps to take action and keep your retirement plan on track that time you got home from a week of double shifts and your dog didn't recognize you let's go hey hey, it's me hey it's me do you want a treat you want a treat oh you knew it was time for something new. Let's job it up. At CareerBuilder, you can find jobs with the work-life balance and salary you want. Plus, build a resume and apply to multiple jobs in just one click. Start your search at CareerBuilder.com. You're listening to Back to Biz with Katie and Bose. Let's return to our conversation with Airbnb CEO, Brian Chesky. By the way, I do have a confession for you yeah. that um, when I was at Uber, um, first of all, I'm a, I'm a nerd of marketing, right? I, yep. I obsess over everyone's creative, everyone's strategy, everyone's vision. And I was absolutely in love with the idea of belonging. Like I thought it was just, it, it just hit the mark so beautifully because in that instance, you don't have to pick a side. You know, it's not your, you know, the, the folks who are booking versus the hosts, you know, it's not, it's not versus, it's just a belonging. Everybody wants to belong. And we all understand that from a very deeply emotional human level. And it is still true. You know, it is, it's what we are dealing with right now with the crises in the world around racial inequality and everything else. Everybody wants to belong. It is the fundamental need. You know, and now I think there's also a, an opportunity to serve in sort of future hope about continuing to belong to the world. Because what this pandemic has done has brought us home and we are, you know, inside and we are concerned and we're anxious. Uh, but we also want to connect back to people and back to outside. And, you know, we all have a deep longing for that. So what do you think is the future of travel and of that belonging to the world? Because let me tell you something, I'm tired of my house. Can I get some kind of <laughs> membership, you know, for Airbnb where I could just, you know, frequently just move around the way I want to? Because I would like that future for myself. That's actually a really good idea. We should talk about that. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> a really good idea. We should definitely talk about that. Um, what is the future of um of travel. Well, um, I'm hoping and I think that travel will get more focused on communities, more focused on people, more intimate, authentic, small, off the beaten path, be, truly being connected to communities where you go, not being an outsider, being an insider. And I think that the last 50 years of travel has been very defined by being an outsider. The only other thing I'd say is I think that we used to live in this world where you lived in one place and you would take a week vacation somewhere else or you travel for business. And I think that is also changing. 
I think that living and traveling will blur together because now you could instead, like you could go somewhere for a few months. Is that living or traveling or is that something in between? And so I think you're going to see this blurring, this, the idea that people will be mobile. They won't just have mobile devices. They themselves will be mobile. I think that you're going to see um, travel being longer length of stay to smaller communities, um, to, you know, local, authentic, and um, more immersive, more experiential. Maybe the one thing that makes that obvious to me is if you ever want to know what the future will look like, just look at what young people want because they're going to define that future. And the younger the person is, the more they want something that's authentic and the more they want to have an experience, not own a thing. I remember reading that all these small towns across America were dying because the older residents were passing away. The younger people didn't stick ar- want to stick around and they were all migrating to cities because that was where the exciting cultural things were happening. So I'm curious what you what you see in the future for some of these major metropolitan areas. Do you think that there will be a return to more rural kind of pastoral or bucolic and all those words? Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey everyone, it's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. 
Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lifestyles. Yeah, I, and the short answer is yes, but um, I thought that the small communities, um, Pittsburgh's, um, you know, I, I'll just pick Pittsburgh and Cleveland, I thought they were going to see a resurgence, but I thought that would happen over the course of 10 years. So I thought, you know, before COVID, that maybe by the year 2030 or 2040, that you would see the rise of small communities. And the reason why was, um, you know, for the first time in human history, more people live in cities than out of cities. And the cities they're, they're, they're congregating to are not just metropolises, mega metropolises. So these are like 10 million plus cities like New York or, you know, SF is only a million, but it feels really dense, the second densest city in the country and then outside of the United States. And I think there was this problem where there was a little bit of an alienation of urban living. So um, people lived in apartment buildings, but they didn't quite know their neighbors. It was really expensive to live in cities. I and mean, if you live in, if you live in San Francisco, LA, New York, London, you'll, I mean, anyone living in these cities will know how expensive it is. And they're really, it was becoming like city life was becoming, I think, really, really hard. And for each new generation going to city, I think it was, it was, it was getting a little bit difficult. And so we're in a way, I think we were reaching what I call a temporary, not a permanent, a temporary peak city moment. Um, I thought that was going to take a lot longer. And I think what COVID did is I think it accelerated that. And I think the big other unlock was Zoom because now people are realizing actually you can get work done without being in a space. Now, to be clear, I do think there's a huge value of people being together. And I also want to be clear that I do not think this is the death of the city at all. I think it's like a sine wave. So I think you're going to see over the next five years, people doing what, what, I'm, what we're calling travel redistribution and population redistribution. Um, I think you're going to see people traveling to smaller communities. And I think people are kind of, we've got used to this industrialized mass tourism world where you were in lines and crowds. And I think people really want something more intimate, more authentic. What I would say though is the, is the following. I think New York's best days are ahead of it. I think Los Angeles' best days are ahead of it. I think big cities' best days are ahead of them, not behind them. But I think before they get better, they're going to get a little tougher. And I think what's going to happen is that you're going to see, um, this is a prediction. So it's, <laughs> the risk of predictions is I'm wrong. Um, but, um, but I do think you're going to see a population slow down in urban cities. A lot of creative people, I come from a creative background, are going to choose. They were already, a lot of creative people were already not living in New York. They were going to New Jersey. They were going to all sorts of other places. It was just too expensive. They're going to redistribute. And then I think what's going to happen is cities are going to get cheaper. And as cities like New York get cheaper, then a new generation of people are going to go into cities, but they're going to come and they're going to bring a whole fresh perspective to new urban living. And I think they're going to do something awesome that like, I'll, and I'll be like, you know, in the next five or 10 years, I can't predict. And I think the city will be something different. When we come back, we ask Brian about Airbnb's race problem. That's right after this. Still living in 2021 and manually taking notes? Start the new year with otter.ai to generate automatic notes for meetings, interviews, or lectures. With otter.ai, you can search the meeting notes, insert images, play back the audio, and share them with your friends or coworkers. You can capture action items, remember meeting details, and keep everyone informed. Otter.ai works for in-person or virtual meetings like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and Google Meet. Sign up for free at otter.ai or download the app for free. Otter.ai, that's O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. 
The moment you realized you were mistaking your kids for co-workers? Okay, team, I'm uh, taking my 15 now. Taking 15 what? Was the moment you knew it was time to get back to work. Let's job it up. At CareerBuilder, our simple, customizable search tool lets you search for part-time, full-time, and even work-from-home jobs so you can find a job that fits your lifestyle. Get started now at CareerBuilder.com. This episode is brought to you by Death on the Nile, exclusively in theaters February 11th. The greatest detective of all time, Hercule Poirot, returns to solve another deadly case. Join Poirot on a wild ride down the Nile River, promising luxury, intrigue, and murder. Grab your friends and get ready to solve this murder mystery on the big screen, starring Kenneth Branagh and Gal Gadot. Premiering only in theaters February 11th. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Back to Biz with Katie and Bose. Let's pick back up with Brian Chesky. One of the things I'm hearing you say, Brian, is you think this pandemic is going to result in a real reset for society, for all of us, our priorities, our relationships, our, you know, our hopes and dreams, how we want to live our lives. Um, And and I'm wondering, you know, I, I hope so, because I think the world needed to be recalibrated. There was something that was off. But I wonder after a vaccine is is, uh, you know, comes about, do you worry and wonder, is it just going to go back to the way it was? Or do you think we will be forever changed? I think it will be forever changed. I think the big question is how long does this go on? And the longer the shutdown happens, um, the more we can't go back and the more profound the shifts because where people are going to invent and they're going to adapt and they're going to create new habits. And I think the way to ask this question is how many things were we doing in the old way just because we were doing them or because they were habits? Because now we're going to have to make a choice to go back to the old way. We're not going to be doing that because we were just doing it all along. And so I think we will go back to a bunch of stuff because people will choose, but they're not going to choose everything. I think you're going to choose to only go back to the things that were essential. And then I think new things are going to merge. So we'll go back a little bit. It's like a pendulum. We, we're going to, but we're not, I don't think we go back all the way. And my, my point of view on this would be um, less will return than, than, than is intuitive that, that, mm-hmm. that this is a new world. Um, and I, I think we're only the beginning of it because what are we only four months into this? So yeah. I, I mean, and it's probably going to go on like, we may not be in lockdown the rest of the year, but like, you know, I, I think another four months of this, you know, like I know our industry is going to be changed forever and I doubt we're the only one. Yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed the conversation around change because we've been waiting for it a long time, <laughs> especially as it relates to yeah. diversity, inclusion, discrimination. Like this is a, a time of real change. And, you know, as a as a black woman who travels alone by her, you know, a lot for work and sometimes for personal, um, it's always been on my mind, you know, how discrimination or my own safety, uh, how I manage that in the world. And I wish that more companies and more businesses would pay attention, you know, to my particular plight. I know Airbnb is certainly one in which, you know, discrimination on the platform and within, you know, the product has been a challenge. And so what, what are you thinking around that? Yeah, I think this has been like a, 
wake up call for a lot of a lot of us and white people and like business leaders and others. Like it's been a it's just been a it's just been a like a fundamental wake up call that I think that, that everyone needed. And so I think that's another example and a good example of we're not going back. Like whatever change happens this front, it's 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 happened and it's not going backwards. Um, I think for specifically to Airbnb, um, we have a a unique history in this area. You know, in 2016, there was a, a hashtag that was trending on Twitter, and that hashtag was Airbnb hashtag Airbnb while black, and the hashtag basically meant that black travelers, primarily in the United States were chronicling their experiences trying to book an Airbnb and being rejected by white hosts primarily. And it took me by surprise. And, you know, we we're not fully conscious that some, our platform could be used for discrimination. So this became an existential risk to our business. And we, um, we ended up actually bringing Eric Holder before Uber. So we were the first ones to, I think, bring in Eric Holder. And he did a, he did a whole report and analysis. We worked with American Civil Liberties Union, this woman, Laura Murphy. And we basically created an anti-discrimination task force. And we made a bunch of progress. We did a couple things. Like one of the things we did, which seems really basic, was we asked everyone to basically like a test. It's kind of like checking a box, like a terms of service box, saying that you will not discriminate on the base of like age, race, religion, um, orientation, gender, uh, things like that. And 1.3 million people chose not to do that. So we said, fine, see you later. We were moving to the platform. And so, but we, we, had, we had limitations because we were not measuring the amount of discrimination on our platform. And as you know, in Silicon Valley, what you can't measure, you don't often optimize. And we were only responding to anecdotes. Now it's really hard to measure discrimination. How do you do it? You have to know people's races to do that. Well, how do you find out someone's race without violating their privacy? And so what we ended up doing two years ago is we started engaging with Color of Change. They're obviously, you know, the mm-hmm. I think they're the largest online civil rights group. Um, and we worked with them, other civil rights organizations, NAACP, and we worked with privacy groups because, you know, you, you got to be thinking about civil rights and privacy. And we designed a way where, and we just launched this, like, I think it was a week ago, where we can collect this thing called perceived race data. Because, of course, discrimination is about perceived race, because no one asks somebody what their race is. They just perceive a race. But we had to do it in a way that was um, consistent with privacy. So it took us longer than I would want to admit. And we developed a bunch of principles. We said, you know, we're going to, anyone who doesn't want to be in this research can opt out. Um, We're going to, decouple your perceived race from your account. And we're going to be transparent about um, what we're doing with this information and the results. And so now we have a way to like follow cohorts of data on our platform and then measure the bias and discrimination on our platform. And then hopefully with that data, we can then design our platform to be more equitable and um, and, and create more belonging. I'm, I'm hoping there's a really big silver lining here and we're going to open source um, our learnings around discrimination and also even how we work to anonymize this data. So this is just one of the things we're doing. And I don't say this to pat ourselves on the back because, frankly, we got issues we got to work on. But I think we'll be remembered for what we do. And I think that every tech company and probably every company, but every tech company, the world will remember what we did on this issue. We can either choose to be a mirror to society 
or we can be a mirror to what we want society to look like. Those are, those are literally choices we have. And why wouldn't we make that second choice? And why don't we at least try? And so that's what we're doing. I'm also uh, very proud of Alexis Ohanian, uh, who oh, yeah. uh, is, a, is a friend because I'm friends with Serena Williams. Um, but I am very impressed by his decision to, you know, step down from Reddit's board so that it could be flat, filled by a black candidate. And can I tell Wondering you, can if, I uh, tell you about who that person is? Do you know him? Yes, 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 yes. Michael, right? You know his history with Airbnb? No, no, please share. Had it not been for Michael Seibel, I probably wouldn't be here telling you this story. Michael Seibel um, is, um, Joe Nate and I started Airbnb. And I remember telling like people about Airbnb and they thought it was like, like the worst idea they ever heard of. And so we were trying to raise $150,000 at a $1.5 million valuation. Nobody won that deal. I mean, it just like we, we got introduced to 20 investors, couldn't get raised money. And we ended up meeting Michael Seibel. We met Michael Seibel in March, 2008. Now we launched in October, 2007. And he basically, when I was like, we were nobody and we didn't know anybody. He took us under his wing because our roommate, my roommate, Joe and I, my roommate had, was this guy named Phil. He worked for a company called Justin.tv. Michael Seibel was a CEO of Justin.tv, which is the basically the predecessor to Twitch with Amazon bought. And Michael basically met with us every Friday. And I, I'm not exaggerating, for like three to five hours. We'd go for happy hour. He'd take us to the site and we'd be there till like late in the evening. And he eventually helped us get into Y Combinator. And I think that he's probably, after the founders, the most significant person um, in the founding story of Airbnb, um, you know, and I, I think we used to call Michael the God founder because like the <laughs> Godfather, we go every week to him and he's like, Michael, we got problems. Can you help us? But I just wanted to give a shout out to Michael because, um, you know, he's, he, he embodies the culture of Silicon Valley. You know, he, he, he didn't want something from us. And we, he said, this is the culture. It's a culture of trust and you pay it forward. I think that's so, I mean, that's a, that's an amazing story, but it goes to the testament and probably points out even more so why there needs to be more open spots, yeah. you know, for people of color, black people to be on boards who, agree. you know, ordinarily wouldn't make it. So is there another Michael Seibel or Michaela Seibel somewhere who can step onto your board? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that, Brian, because, you know, there is a Quartz article granted from 2016 that says the dirty secret of Airbnb is that it's really, really white. So I'm curious about how you, if you've managed to change that and how you plan to continue changing it in the future. Yeah. Um, we're part of the way there, but not, e not nearly where we need to be. Um, we've um, just, let's start with the board. So probably at the time that article was written, um, it was, it would have been five people on the board, three founders were white guys. And then we had two venture capitalists. You know, when you raise money, a VC takes a board seat typically. And, um, and so since then we've appointed four independent board members. Um, three were women, um, including my former COO. We have Ann Mathers. She was the CFO of Pixar for Steve Jobs, audit chair of Google and Netflix. And then Angela Renz, you probably know, she um, ran Apple Retail and before that was CEO of Burberry. And then we added Ken Chenault, um, who was CEO of Amex. Um, so 
um, not to make excuses, but we are we are trying, but we definitely need to get more diverse even on the board. And so absolutely, I, I, I'm definitely be interested in us um, continuing to add a couple more people, um, you know, in time, I don't know when, but absolutely. On the executive team, um, you know, we, um, we also need to make progress. We, um, we, 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 we are, we, we have set diversity targets that we want by the end of next year, 20% of our board and executive team to be uh, people of color. Um, I think, I think we can get there for sure. Um, and maybe we can, we can beat that actually. And, um, and, you know, I, I think that we've, like the last three hires I made, two of them are women. Um, my head of operations, um, Tara Bunch, she, was running operations for Apple. And I, I hired this woman named Catherine Powell who ran basically 70% of the Disney parks. And I mean, I will just say from my experience, and I, I can say this, um, a more diverse company is not only the responsible thing to do, it is actually a competitive advantage. Um, right. You know, it, it, and I, I really mean that. Like, like we, we became so much higher performing when we started becoming more diverse. And we're not there. We're not even close to where we need to be. We should at least map to the demographics in the country you operate. So if, you know, like you shouldn't, and you could be better, but you shouldn't be worse than that. So we want to go a lot further. I was going to say, given this reckoning that and the movement we're witnessing and, and this realization and wake up call, as you referred to it, Brian, of, to, of systemic racism and what is just no longer acceptable. I mean, you can't really get away without with with not being diverse. I mean, no. not only for all the reasons you just outlined, but let's face it, it's just not it, it's not an acceptable look anymore. No, it's and and it, that is as it should be. Um, it's probably overdue, and and um and so that will be one of the one of the uh, good that come out of a crisis. Right? Are you embarrassed you haven't done more, Brian? Um. I wish I did more. I wish I did more sooner. Um, and, um, and I'm proud of what we have done. Um, I, I, I think that, um, I, I think, you know, a company like ours, um, mission is built around belonging connection. I think that's like really, really important. And so, um, yeah, I, if, if I cut it over again, I would have done more sooner. And I, I think that's a good lesson here for everyone that every one of us could be doing more sooner. I think Brian is absolutely right. I think there wasn't an urgency to fix this problem before, but there's certainly an urgency now. And hopefully this will be a real moment in time where things will change for the better, finally. I really hope so. I mean, we are demanding more of ourselves right now, and that's really what matters. Again, we've been talking to Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. And that does it for this week's episode of Back to Biz with Katie and Bose. If you're not already, you can subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And you can learn more about all the cool people we're talking to, as well as our favorite moments from these interviews on our Instagram feeds and stories. Until next time, I'm Katie Couric. And I'm Bozma St. John. And this is Back to Biz with Katie and Bose. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
The executive producers are Katie Couric, Bozema St. John, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen. The associate producers are Derek Clements, Eliza Costas, and Emily Pinto. Editing by Derek Clements and Lauren Hansen. Mixing by Derek Clements. Special thanks to Adriana Fazio. For more information about today's episode, go to katiekirk.com. You can also follow Katie Couric and Bozema St. John on Twitter and Instagram. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Mi nombre es Valentina Vivas Castañeda, soy una estudiante en Fresno State, juego fútbol y soy arquera. En una comunidad latina te enseñan que debes ser fuerte, pero hoy estoy aquí para decirles que está bien pedir ayuda, que está bien no sentirse bien. Ve a calhope.org para hablar con una persona que puede darte una guía sobre las opciones disponibles o llama a la línea de ayuda al 1-833-317-HOPE. La esperanza vive aquí en California. Hey everyone, it's Katie Couric and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.